Learning happens everywhere all the time. Hey there and welcome to the Homeschool Success Podcast. I am your host, Cami Wanis, the Freedom Scholar. My experience as a veteran homeschool mom, former public high school teacher, and mentor to homeschool families everywhere, along with periodic guests, will help you to create the homeschool experience you always wanted and your family deserves. Homeschooling is a leap of faith that can cause doubts, overwhelm, and uncertainty while trying to keep love of learning high and balance life, work, and kids. Each episode is packed with the strategies, tips, activity ideas, and resources you need to ensure your kids get a great education, create close family relationships, become good leaders, and have tons of fun. You'll learn everything from scheduling, curriculum, routines, and homeschooling multiple ages to increasing love of learning and everything in between. This podcast is different from anything else out there by also focusing on the thinking shifts that are the key to homeschooling successfully. Whether you're new to homeschooling or a seasoned veteran, make sure to subscribe so you'll gain the practical strategies and confidence you need to develop a rich love of learning culture and environment that results in passionate, lifelong learners. More than ever before, leaders are needed who have a great education and who use their unique talents and gifts to make this world better. Join me on my mission to raise our next generation of leaders through ensuring your family has a supportive and inspiring homeschool journey. Homeschooling is learning through life. You got this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Homeschool Success with Cami Wanis. If you're listening to this on the podcast, if you're watching us live, it's live with Cami in our Facebook group and in YouTube. I am so excited because today we are going to be talking about reading. How many times, even as a high school English teacher, I was thinking to myself, starting homeschooling, how do I teach my kid how to read? I've never taught anybody how to read before. It's kind of a mystery. It can be. And so we don't remember learning how to read. So it's something that we don't really know a lot about. And we think about, okay, what age, what readiness, all these things. And there's all these details out there and everybody, what I call, remember the educational should shooting on us about Mm -hmm. what is the right age, what is the right reading level, and yada, yada, yada. And it makes us all crazy, and we think our kids are ahead or behind or whatever, and we just have a lot of anxiety about this. So we want to clear all that up for you today with Dr. Deanna, and she is so amazing, you guys. She has so much knowledge. We know each other from another homeschooling group, and I was so excited to talk to her because I was like, man, this lady is amazing. She's got like such a breadth of knowledge. It is so incredible. I'm listening to her. I'm like, she just knows she's got all the studies and the research and that and the practicality. And she's a homeschooling mama, which is so awesome. So Deanna is with us today and I'm so excited. She has her own YouTube channel. You can get, we'll share that with you in the comments and the show notes so that you guys can make sure that you get a hold of all this awesomeness because you do not want to miss out on this resource. It's super, it's super 
uplifting and just takes the stress off of you to be able to know where to go and know how to transition your kids from non-readers to readers. So, and when that happens, okay? So it's super important. I love her demeanor also. She's so uplifting, so positive, and really her videos are very relatable to littles. I love how simple they are. I love how it's a slower pace, so it's not super busy and the kids don't get overwhelmed. It's so awesome. It's really, really great. So I'm super excited, Deanna. Thanks for coming on with us today. Can you share a little bit about yourself and just mm -hmm. how you, you know, your background kind of in this early reading stage? Absolutely. I am so excited. And I just want to take a moment to thank you for this opportunity because the whole purpose here for me is to really get this message out to families and to provide this as a, as a resource uh, to give them the confidence. And um, I know uh, when I became a mom, I had already been in education for uh, several years, and I just remember this little blank slate, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, you know what a what a responsibility!" And 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 walking that path of parenting and teaching my own children is a, it's different than in than the classroom, and so I just want to share this knowledge base with parents because I know that it's been difficult regardless of having that knowledge. And I want to share that to give them the foundation. Um, my my background in um, education, um, I was really always immersed in a world of education. My mom was in education. And um, I just really had a love for that very young. And um, I've been in the world of education personally for April was 23 years. So um, it's been 23 years uh, teaching early literacy, young children, um, K through three, um, as well as my own and, um, and, and teaching my own children to read, which is a completely different ballpark. It, it absolutely um, is. I had a parent once tell me, it must be so nice having all these strategies. And I said, Oh, parenting is, it's just hard. It doesn't matter. You know, you can come to it with all the, the, the parenting. I was the best parent before I was a parent, you know? Right. Um, so in any case, as far as with literacy goes, I, I always had a, a, a huge love for teaching, um, reading and making it very interactive in my classroom, that it wasn't something that the children were, were bystanders or observers, that they were always very, um, active in the learning. And so that's a huge component also of what I uh, seek to provide on my channel, that it's something that the children can get engaged in and, and, and involved. Or if the parents want to watch and take those strategies back to their children, that they can do that too. Um, so lots of opportunities there. Um, as far as with my own children, um, I have two boys and um, I have one one son diagnosed with dysgraphia, and so our learning to read journey was a little different there. So I that that has brought a, a whole different lens for me as well. Um, and my doctorate um, is in curriculum and instruction, so really understanding the scope and sequence and bringing that that dual path of experience that I have combined with the research um, is really a unique. Uh, overlapping quality that I I hope to give to families who are seeking to uh, to home educate their children or to give them support in any any format.
Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And you guys are going to hear from her again later talking about special needs and, and really transitioning. And I love that you have that experience because it's something that many, many people and many parents are confronted with and they don't know what to do. It's very something that even in public schools, not very good at dealing with and not very good at supporting parents and students in those areas. So I love that you have that experience as well. And so really just starting out, how do we know when our kid is ready to read? Because that is such a different scenario for every single child. And absolutely. And in public school, it's like, okay, you're in kinder, we're learning how to read, you're in first grade, you should know this. And so when our kids don't meet that standard, it's really, even if our neighbor's kids are reading and they're the same age, right? It's really mm -hmm. that, why isn't my kid reading yet? And Absolutely. there's so much pressure. So how do you know when your kid is actually ready to read? Well, you know, societally, we've come up with this, this expectation um, of the golden age of five. We think that that, you know, because we, we picture it as being something that's very, um, connected to kindergarten. Uh, originally, reading was really a, a component of the first grade uh, year. Um, it has been moved back a bit. Um, we do teach that in the kindergarten range. However, with as with any milestone, um, learning to read has a developmental, you know, span. And so we can see it's a spectrum, really. So we can see children absolutely ready as early as three. Um, but there's a range that goes all the way to age eight. And that is actually a normal range. And we can picture it like a bell curve. So, you know, right in the middle uh, about would be where we see the most amount of children ready. But uh, um, not in 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 um, alignment with our societal norm is five is actually not the uh, average age of reading readiness. Um, six and seven is actually where we see the majority of children uh, really ready to read. So um, there's this big push for children to read young. We 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 almost see it as a as a a significant demonstration of intelligence. Whereas when your child learns to read is not really an indication of um, their IQ. Uh, an early reader, it, it certainly is, you know, that would be an area where they are advanced, but that doesn't necessarily indicate your child's overall IQ. Um, that's also something to keep in mind because um, especially when you have overlapping needs of um, somebody who has giftedness with a learning disability, they may be delayed in some areas and advanced in others. So we want to keep that in mind when we look at the spectrum of reading readiness. Um, so six and seven is the average age for a child to be ready. Again, we can see them ready absolutely at age three. Uh, they may not be ready till age eight. We really want to see children reading by nine. Um, because that's when they start to transition over to the reading to learn um, as opposed to learning to read. So that's really where we see that transition where they're going to start having more of those uh, core subjects uh, such as social studies and the, the focus is, is shifting a bit if we're looking at a traditional model. So if we look at, um, you, you hear this phrase, uh, start early or, you know, and, you know, 
stay ahead. And um, that's that's a little bit I, – I, I always warn families and parents to be uh, a little bit careful with that because what research shows is that children who are pushed to start early if they're not truly ready – um, they actually stagnate and they end up coming to a plateau. So this is not really the crux of what we want to focus on with children if they're not genuinely ready. And with that, I also like to to open up parents' minds to the fact that reading is more than just blending words. Reading is um, being able to interpret text, to, to process it, and, and true literacy is actually an invisible, it's a process in the brain. And so it's the ability for the brain to process the text, to interpret it, to connect to it, to make inferences, all these very deep-seated comprehension skills. And the great news about that is that children don't need to be blending to start doing those skills because we can do those skills with our children, uh, especially if they're struggling um, with learning to read or especially if they have an overlapping disability. The best thing to do for those children is to be modeling those skills. So, you know, I always, you know, share that too. That has been a huge impactful thing in our journey um, to getting to where my son is performing and no longer um shows as dysgraphic in his testing. Um, and, and so that was a big part of our, our strategy was before he was ready to actually do some of it on his own. Um, we did it with him and modeled those higher level thinking skills. So when he was ready to do the skill, he was also ready with that higher level thinking too. So that's another thing, but, um, you know, so signs that a child is ready to read, which I think a lot of parents want to know, okay, so what- Yeah, what do we look the, for? What's the lowdown? What's the lowdown? What am I looking for? You're looking for children that are showing an interest. They understand that the printed word has meaning. They might be scribbling grocery lists, um, you know, playwriting. Um, they might be trying to mimic your writing. They're pretending to read books. And that also goes into something else really important when you talk about we don't remember learning to read and we don't remember all. So I remembered uh, when I started teaching kindergarten and one of the lessons was like the difference between a letter and a word. And I'm like, wait, we, I have to teach that? You know, yes, yes. These skills that we take for granted. But the great news about that is that we can model that in our day-to-day -day life without even having to over overwhelm ourselves with that. Um, when we talk about children who are read to do really well, it's not because they're learning by osmosis as far as learning to blend. That's not what they're gaining from that. What they're gaining from that is um, concepts of print. So they're really seeing how text functions. Um, something such so simple as where to go when we get to the end of a, a, a line. You know, it's called a return sweep and we go back to the the next line and we, you know, and we continue on. But that is a huge thing um, to really model for your, ch uh, your child. Uh, return sweep. Where do we start when we read? Where do we start when we write a sentence? Um, you know, what is the difference between a letter and a word? So all of these very fundamental concepts, you can be modeling for your child. And when they start to have that understanding of, of the printed 
uh, language, that is absolutely um, a place to start. Um, as far as a knowledge base, I see there's a huge buzz about phonics. Everybody wants those ABC videos. And absolutely, we children need to have phonics. Um, but there's something that's just as important, if not more important, and it's called phonological awareness and phonemic awareness. And how I explain the concept is phonics are the tools to read, but phonemic awareness and phonological awareness, that is the know-how. So you can have all the tools to build a bridge, but if you don't know how to build the bridge, you can't build the bridge. If you don't know what to do with those sounds and how to blend them together. So knowing uh, that your child has this fundamental uh, knowledge base, it would look like um, your child being able to identify beginning sounds. Um, it looks like a child who can take a word like sat and can um, segment it, at, and blend it back together, sat. So without even looking at the printed word, and that's um, also something very um, misunderstood is that phonemic awareness is actually not connecting it to the written letter. It's actually auditory, completely auditory. And, 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 and with that, we get into it's wordplay. It's basically how do we say children learn best? Well, their play is their learning. And so that's where, you know, rhyming and, uh, word games, uh, if you ever sang the name song when you were a child, um, that is absolutely critical, actually, to the way children develop um, their uh, their readiness to read. So when you're seeing a child that can segment words, um, that can hear parts of words like syllables, even though they may not know the word syllable, uh, rhyming, children that come into their uh, early education years with several rhymes, nursery rhymes, outperform their peers who do not have that rhyming base. Rhyming is very, very, um, it's not a concrete concept, but the best way to do it is through rhyming games. And I do a lot of that in my videos um, because with repetition, um, the children, and they're very motivated to participate, they start to pick up on those patterns of language. So when you have a child that has those fundamental skills, not just their letter sounds. In fact, a child does not need to know all of their letter sounds to start reading. Um, when we are going through a scope and sequence of reading development, we actually have letters taught uh, not starting at A. We actually typically start with M or S. And there's about six first letters. And those letters, once they have those first six letters, they can write and read many words. And so we can start to transition and get them ready. So um, again, phonics, you need the tools, but you also need the know-how. So if children have that rhyming background, they have that wordplay, they understand uh, the concept of written language, they're showing interest in it. Those are the, the things that you want to see um, to know that your child is ready. Oh my gosh, there's so much in there. I love that you mentioned the difference of eight years old because I know that there's that developmental shift that happens around eight years old that really, mm -hmm. that really separates a kid from from just 
reading to just, and this is not just in terms of reading as well, but also in thinking in general, there's another level of thinking that happens about, and we're talking about about eight years old, right? It's not the same for everyone. So I love that you said that. And it's so important for us to, as parents, for us to look at our kids and say, wow, they're not reading at five. They may not even be reading at six. And I know even I've had friends that have said that to me, like my kid's like almost eight and this is ridiculous. And we're, we're behind. And the problems that come up, I find are that the parent is stressed. Mm -hmm. And so they have the educational should, we should be, we should be reading. And so that transfers to the student and transfers to their child. And then it becomes a loss of love of learning, right? And it becomes so, then you have a whole nother level that you have to work through because they don't want to do it anymore because they're not very good at it. That's what they think anymore, right? Correct. And it it might actually just be that they're not developmentally ready for it and they weren't really behind to begin with, but we have this messaging and, and, and parents rightfully so. And, and I am in, in this boat with everybody else. We absolutely want the best for our kids. You know, um, that's how we're wired. That's, that's right. Um, so, you know, it, it we're getting this messaging from society. We're getting this messaging from family, from people whose opinions actually that we do care about. Um, and, and so this becomes very uh, noisy to, to parents too. And we worry, you know, that's just, you know, we, we worry, we wonder, you know, if, I think every parent has experienced, you know, whatever insert behavior into this fill in the blank, but are they going to be doing that when they're 25? Oh my gosh, you know, or, or are they not going to be able to do that when they're 20? You know, we worry. Um, and, and certainly I say this with a, with a, a bit of caution because I also want to encourage parents if they, for any reason, see signs of, of a learning disability. Um, that there is absolutely the ability to get that uh, diagnosed. And the way that you would do that was would be through an ed- educational psychologist. So if there is any concern um, to, to get that um, looked at, that, that is perfectly – I encourage parents not to shy away from that. In fact, I would say um, as much as I thought a diagnosis would be scary – for me, for my child, um, they ended up being absolutely the door to walk through to figure out what strategies we needed to do to make him successful, to to give him the proper supports. And it became such an unscary thing. It became kind of actually, uh, your title is the Freedom Scholar. And it was a bit of freedom to say, you know what? This is okay to provide the support and also a little bit of encouragement for parents. If your child does have um, accommodations um, or needs accommodations, um, you know, even if they go the college route, don't worry about that either because they allow for accommodations in a college setting for dysgraphia, dyslexia, um, ADHD, all of these things. Um, we actually, my son took college classes as a ninth grader. And we worked with the disability department there. And so I can personally speak to that this is something that is provided. So parents, I I do encourage them not to be afraid if they they have a concern about that. Um, 
you know, but at the same time, if your child's not reading at five, it doesn't mean that they do have a disability. Right. And I think that's, you know, it's a fine line to walk because we do, if there is a, a disability, we do want to address it as early as possible. With things such as dyslexia and dysgraphia, and I certainly, I don't, that's not my my wheelhouse. I don't diagnose that. Um, but having been in a position where I would refer children to be screened, some of the qualifications, we often don't worry about reversals and things like that until they are eight or nine. So, but at the same time, to encourage parents, if you have a question in your mind, it never hurts to have that ruled out as well. It's really, you know, I do want to encourage parents with that as well. Yeah, that's something definitely empowering. I mean, you it all depends on how you frame it, right? How you frame mm-hmm. it with yourself and with your kids. You can think of it as, oh, I'm failing my kids. Or you can think about it, hey, great. We know now we mm-hmm. can move on, right? We can right. have a plan. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. And you touched on really some huge ideas about how parents can help their kids start learning how to read and just the cues there. And I really believe that most people think that starting to learn how to read is in a book. And I love how you mentioned that it's not, it's auditory and Mm -hmm. there's so much more that goes on there. And so doing things like rhyming and singing songs and which typically is rhyming as well, singing songs and, you know, nursery rhymes and read alouds or uh, yes. read alouds, read aloud, read aloud. You guys know I talk about read alouds all the time. Yes. And so family read aloud is so, so, so important. Literally, Absolutely. that's all we used to do when mm-hmm. we were potty training. I mm-hmm. I was kind of upset. I was determined to get him potty trained. And so I started potty training before I think before, a little bit before he was one and we were, all we did on the potty was read books. We just read books. And that was the only way I could keep him on there for that long. (laughs) And so we would just read books. And so he would have the cardboard books and then he would start reading. They'd be everywhere. He'd have the board books everywhere and he would just, he'd read them. Mm-hmm. He'd just be perusing them and perusing them and perusing them. And he had them, you know, memorized. We'd just look at the pictures. We'd do that. We'd read the little page and we'd spend a little time on it. And and it wasn't anything that I was doing to teach him how to read at first. It was more like, let's get in the habit of reading. Let's mm-hmm. get in that habit of looking at books and learning from books and having fun with books. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned that it's also just the exploration part of it in general, mm-hmm. that it's more than just doing, you know, what does this say and sounding out the word? Because that's so much more. Correct. 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 Yeah. And, I, yeah. and if you really think historically about reading, and obviously we have so much understanding now, the science of reading and the science of learning and 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 how the brain develops. So absolutely, we, we bring new knowledge to the table. But if you really look at the historical nature of how children learned, back into nurseries uh, for centuries, uh, children did these rhyming games and wordplay. And, and, and we've lost a little bit of that, I think, because um, we do have so much technology, which I'm not anti-technology, obviously. Um, but at the same time, we've lost a little bit of those, 
word games. And it doesn't need to be a set time in the day. You mentioned doing it during a natural routine in your day. We would do this during our changing times. Um, I would sing the day, all the little songs I did at circle time for kindergarten. You know, I sang those with my kids. She's the best songs, by the way. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I I used to say that when I taught kindergarten, I go, you know how Apple says I have an app for that? Well, I have a song for that. (laughs) I loved teaching with with song um, because I feel it sticks to the brain better and it gets the kids involved. Um, but thank you for that. Um, but you know, that, that really historically was part of children's development. And so, uh, this really is important, um, to bring into our children's lives and we can do it just very naturally. It doesn't, we don't have to be, um, ultra structured in that. It can be just a natural and very fun part of the day. And kids don't care if you're uh, great at singing. They don't care about that. They will think you're the best singer in the world. You know, um, I used to think my mom should be a recording artist, you know? <laughs> I thought the same thing too. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, I mean, it, so that is, you know, that's also, you know, something not to worry about. Children are, they're just interested in having fun and connecting um, to whoever their, their learning grown up is. Um, whether that be a grandparent, a parent, um, any family member or guardian, they want to connect to that learning grown up. Um, and you'll notice I do use that language in my videos because I do want to make sure that, you know, families who, you know, maybe it's a grandparent or an aunt who's teaching, you know, I just want them to know it's their grown up. Um, and so this is for all families. But, um, Anyway, so yes, that auditory portion, and I see there's such a push for phonics, but then I also see a lot of people asking, um, you know, my kid, they know all their letters, but they can't read and they're, they're really worried about this. And, you know, because the phonics are the tools, but they have to have the know-how. And the great news is that it can be a lot of fun. Learning to read um, doesn't have to be boring. And it doesn't have to be a video to make it fun either. Um, in fact, you know, I also caution, and you'll notice I don't use cartoons in my videos. I don't use a lot of, uh, I use visuals, um, but as much as possible, I keep real video or my face on the screen because developmentally for speech and language, um, they've really shown uh, through research that the children watching the way the mouth moves, the right. muscles, um, they're picking up so much about language and uh, how to pronounce. That's really important. Um, so I I try to keep as much of a real person on screen um, because that is important for speech and language development. And I also have some tutorials for parents of how to correctly pronounce the letter sounds. Uh, because a lot of the letters, and I'll say as a former kindergarten teacher, I, I would have kids that came in that learned the letter sounds on videos or whatever, which is fine, but it was so, they, they had learned them incorrectly and why it's important. It seems like it's such a little picky thing, but, um, because it would actually, uh, cause them to misspell things as we started to learn how to put simple, because, uh, an example would be like the letter Y is actually not Y, it's Yi. And so, but you would hear this Y. So they would spell 
yak with a Y, a U, an A, and a K. And it was very hard to start to pull that extra vowel out of there. Um, we see this with a lot of um, like the T. It's not T, it's T, T, T. Right. Um, so those type of things, I, I have a tutorial for every letter. It's actually in my shorts section, but I also include it in my Meet the Letter, uh, Let's Meet the Letters uh, playlist as well. I love that. That's so important. And, you know, just I was already thinking about it. You segued into it perfectly is what happens if somebody like a parent is English as their second language or they, you know, I always tell parents if they don't feel like they read very well already, you know, reading aloud is such a great way to mm -hmm. really hone your own reading. And Absolutely. I know if you don't feel great about reading aloud, one thing Deanna mentioned as well is your kids don't care. <laughs> they don't notice. And so, they don't. yeah, it's so fun. And so you just go with it. But what happens if English is a second language or they have an accent or something? I know that pronunciation is, is huge there. And, but also reading, like, I mean, if I speak Spanish as my first language or I speak, mm -hmm. you know, Italian as my first language, then how do I make that transition for my kids so that they, because if I want them to be you know, Duolingo or, you know, whatever that, that right. may be, what, how do I make that, that transition? So first of all, I want to encourage families that do have that bilingual um, foundation in their home to continue with that because your child's brain, I'm bilingual. I learned my second language actually later on in life and I became fluent in, in it later on in life. Um, in our home, we actually have three languages that are spoken. Um, however, if you have um, that going on in your home, children's brains are really designed to absorb as many languages. I mean, they can they can really they have a lot of plasticity in their brain, right? And this is where we really want to establish that. So, um, you know, just a little aside, uh, you can divide it amongst by who's speaking it. Like, you know, we speak this language when uh, we're all together. We speak this language. Mom speaks this language that, you know, um, that's that's a really great way to do it. Um, as far as the confidence, um, I know that that can be a huge hurdle for parents because, again, we go back to parents want the best for their kids and they worry and they, they worry. They don't want to be a reason that their child struggles. But I would also encourage parents to also see and allow their children to see their challenges because they'll see you learning as well. They'll see, you know, that's a little tricky for me. I'm going to find the resource. I'm going to practice it. And they're going to, that is actually, that skill is more, I, I would argue is more important than any uh, fact or whatever that we could teach them. Um, but I do I do hear the concern about um, pronunciation. We, we do want to take care and concern with that, but not to the extent where we are becoming paralyzed and, and fearful. And I think it's really uh, important to say, allowing children to see you look for those resources you uh you you try your best to also learn new things too um and that's perfectly wonderful as well um and and interestingly enough and i think that we've seen most children 
um, tend to get the uh, in, uh, inflection of where they're growing up um, as opposed to um, what's in the home. So, I mean, we might pick up certain, you know, it, we pick up certain nuances and that's, that's okay. Um, I actually value some of the nuances that I picked up growing up. I actually feel very, it makes me feel more connected to my family. However, um, you know, I think by exposing them to um, a range of experiences, interacting with, you know, if they're homeschooling, having learning pods, having support groups that meet together, you know, interacting with children of, you know, all different um, backgrounds, that's going to help with the language growth as well. And reading out loud um, is one of the best ways to develop your pronunciation, by the way. So absolutely, absolutely. And you guys, I was a high school English teacher, and I also taught English as a second language for students as well. Um, They and so I do know a little bit of background there is that Deanna is absolutely correct in that you, your kids, the younger they are, the faster they're going to pick up languages and they can discern those really easily and switch between them. And then also, also the more you read and speak and, and learn with them in a, in an academic language. I don't even care if it's your, if it's not English, if Mm -hmm. you can teach them, if Spanish is your first language, then teach them in academic language in, in a way, Mm -hmm. uh, um, of learning. And therefore it makes the gap so much easier between languages because Mm -hmm. if they don't know academic language and thinking and reading in in any language correct <laughs> it makes it it it's really really hard to make correct. that transition yeah absolutely and, yeah yeah so, I, oh i'm sorry no go ahead <laughs> you know i used to share with parents that you know um there's a lot of concepts about print that are cross uh linguistic you know they cross languages and not always but there is a sense of directionality in every language. Some languages have a different rule. Um, but when we learn about a language in that context, we also have the ability to understand, um, you know, go into understanding other languages. And, you know, like my husband, is he's his second language is English and his first language is Norwegian. And when we were... Um, younger and before he had more English experience, but there would be some nuances. But I knew why, because I, as a second language learner myself, I understood about false cognitives or things like that. That language actually, that that understanding can help us transfer that knowledge when we're interacting with other people in uh, a global society where we're interacting with people from all different backgrounds. We start to understand Um, And I think that is very key if we're talking about being compassionate people, then that is also a a, a tool for being, um, having a skill set of, of working with a range of individuals. So again, um, anything that you're giving to, you talked about those higher level thinking. And I, 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 I love that because, um, you know, I, I, my beginning teaching years, I worked in a predominantly um, a, a community with a lot of, uh, with a lot of language learning students and the families were like, I can't, I can't help them. 
I'm like, yes, oh my gosh, you can because you can model for, and it doesn't matter if it's in Spanish or English. The process of thinking is the same. You're still starting over here and going this way. Now, there are some languages that's not the case, but they're still learning that there's there's rules and structure to language. So um, I just want to encourage parents to actually come to the table with that and actually think of it as a bonus for your child because it's going to strengthen their um, – it's actually – I don't, I don't know if you want to say they have a higher IQ if you have more than one language, but you're keeping brain cells. I mean, you have some, you know, and after a certain age, we start to kind of not keep the, that ability, right, to learn languages. So, you know, you're giving them that gift. You're giving them the opportunity to, to experience um, and connect to your language and also a compassion. I think we have a compassion when we have, we're very rooted and understand um, different, you know, languages and structures of language. And it's a whole different worldview. I mean, it's really because how you, someone said to me once and it made, I was just blown away thinking about the idea is that, you know, um, an Eskimo language has 11, I think it's like 11 or it's above 10 different words for the word snow, mm-hmm. but English has one and mm-hmm. it's a totally different way of seeing the world. If there's no green, the, mm-hmm. the word green in your language, you see it in a total different way. Yeah, it's still Correct. green, but it's a different way of thinking about it, a different way of wor- of viewing the absolutely. world. And it's so beautiful, and I absolutely love that. And you guys, I know we're talking a lot about the second language. We're, we're definitely excited about it, and you guys are <laughs> have so much confidence about what you're doing because you're always going to have gaps in your education and their education, and learning mm-hmm. together is one of the best things that I've done with my son. Is absolutely the most amazing. I never knew. Th- things about birds that I know now. <laughs> I never knew things about science. And mm-hmm. he was talking to my husband yesterday and telling him all about the history of, you know, the Polynesian wars and the, the ancient times. I'm like, I, and they're going back and forth with each other. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> but they know all that stuff. It's so exciting. You guys have fun exciting. with it. It's so great. And and definitely there are resources out there. Take yes. advantage of Dr. Deanna's YouTube channel. And so we could just search for Dr. Deanna and we can also find the link in the show notes, the comments, and we are going to definitely take advantage of your videos because they are super Wonderful. fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And I look so forward to chatting more about special needs and things like that next time. Absolutely. I look forward to it too. Bye-bye, you guys. If you're loving this information and want to connect with Cami live, join our Facebook group, the Freedom Scholar Homeschooling Community. Every Thursday in Live with Cami, you can get more great homeschool tips, how-tos, and resources, and get your questions answered. And subscribe to our newsletter to get your free ebook, Creating Educational Harmony in Your Home. See show notes for the links. Hope to see you live.
This is an informational podcast. The information presented in each episode is the most recent and honest to the best of the presenter's ability. Results are not guaranteed. This podcast aims to educate and there are no guarantees of results implied. Listeners are encouraged to seek out and meet their local homeschool requirements. Any products, websites, and company names mentioned in this podcast are their respective owner's trademarks or copyright properties. The presenter is not associated or affiliated with them in any way unless otherwise stated. Nor does the referred product, website, or company necessarily sponsor, endorse, or approve this podcast. We hope you enjoy and find value in each episode. This content is copyrighted and not authorized for reproduction.